this is great not just in terms of monetization, but this is also great in terms of recognizing the power of music and its ability to bring people of different backgrounds together. That's what hooked me into the business of music as a social tool, but also as a, mon a way to generate revenue. It, it represented my interests, it represented my personality traits, and it represented the skill sets I had, which were communication skills and the ability to sell. When you're in touch with your passion, you're in touch with your interests, your personality traits and your skill sets, decisions become really easy to make. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou. And boy, do we have an exciting guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is a new friend, but we become fast and dear friends in a very short time. You know, in life, when you meet somebody and it's like you've known them before, it's like God has put you together before. Well, this gentleman and I, we had that sort of a connection. And this man is an icon in the entertainment industry. He was one of the original judges on Canadian Idol. He managed the first mainstream Canadian rapper, Maestro Fresh West. He's managed a ton of other musicians. This man is a mentor's mentor to all kinds of people in the arts. He's a mentor to folks who are at risk as well. He's a mentor to folks who life has, has kicked down. He's all about uplifting them. This man is a motivator. This man is a teacher. This man is a trainer, and he's a champion for young men. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Farley Flex. Welcome to the show, Farley. Thanks for having me. How are you, Nikki? I am awesome, man. Really glad to have you here today, brother. Welcome. Glad to be here. Very, very glad to be here. So listen, brother, my listener to this show is a man or a woman who's an entrepreneur. They got hopes. They got dreams. They want to make a difference. We only attract heart-driven entrepreneurs. They also want to make a great living for themselves, and they want to be able to learn how to create their brand and get it out there in such a way that they're becoming known. They're professionally famous. So who better to teach them how to do that? than a man who's kind of synonymous with branding in the entertainment space. The man who was a judge on Canadian Idol, mentored tons of people on how to do that in the entertainment world, and has managed people and continues to manage people. So that's why I asked you to be here. But you know what? Before they can really listen to you, man, they got to be able to open their hearts to you. And they're not going to be able to do that until they get to know your backstory. So tell us your backstory. How'd you get to be the great Farley Flats? Wow, that's a big question. Well, for me... One of the things I live by is just knowledge of self. I want to ensure, I've always wanted to ensure that I knew myself better than anyone else could know me. And that would give me the sense of direction, allow me to make the right choices and to do everything that I do as an extension of my personality. So I created this sort of model called IPS, which is my interests, my personality traits and my skill sets. And, and later on as it evolved, I realized, you know what? My IPS is actually my GPS. 
right? So my inter in my interests, personality traits, and skill sets would be what what would help me navigate what career paths I wanted to go down, which is where the GPS comes in. So at around 15 years old, I was a pretty high level athlete at the high school level. Um, but I was also a lover of music introduced to me by my family, my primarily my older brother. And, you know, so one time I remember we were hanging out in the high school cafeteria and a good friend of mine, my best friend at the time, his older brother was the top DJ in the community. So I said to my friend, I want to meet with your brother because I think based on the, all the people I know across this, you know, for me, it was the city of Toronto. Um, I think if I had some sort of event, a lot of people would show up because I played sports everywhere. I, I hung out, you know, a lot of different places. And I was a pretty communicative guy. I liked meeting people. And uh, so I hooked up with this DJ. And lo and behold, we did our first dance. I was 15 turning 16. And there were approximately uh, 1,500 people showed up. Whoa. And I realized, hold on a second. This is great, not just in terms of monetization, but this is also great in terms of recognizing the power of music and its ability to bring people of different backgrounds together. And that's what I got hooked on. I remember looking out onto the, it was in a roller skating rink. I looked out onto the rink and to the dance floor area. And I saw just these, the, the United Nations enjoying the same sound of music, which at that time was considered, um, it would have been R&B, soul music, funk music, right? We're going back a little bit, 1977. So that's what hooked me into the business of music as a social tool, but also as a, mon a way to generate revenue. So I continued to do dances and made money and so forth. And it was, it was quite exciting because I recognized also, most importantly, it was an extension of who Farley is. It, it represented my interests, it represented my personality traits, and it represented the skill sets I had, which were communication skills and the ability to sell. Right. I was able to sell the idea of why people should come to this party. It happened to be the first breakdance competition in the history of Toronto. So wow. that was my first, I guess you could say, um, contributed to the whatever the legacy of Farley Flex is in anyone's eyes. That's that was actually the first thing, in my opinion. Man, that's that's amazing. So you had 1500 people at the first event you did. So you, you got a sense of, hey, this is monetizable. And you also got a sense of. I like this. I'm bringing people together. This feeds my soul. This is cool stuff, right? Exactly. So tell me, tell me more. What happened after so, that? Where'd you go from there? So the next step after that, I, I was an avid soccer player and uh, played at a very high level and ended up going away to school at the University of South Florida. And down there, I noticed something. There were all these fraternities that were, were living in silos. So I said, you know what? Forget this silo stuff. I'm going to be like a non-fi-non guy. Right. So I started to throw parties and my parties were neutral. So I was the party guy. I was the Switzerland of, of, of parties. <laughs> so I would throw parties and people would people would come no matter what fraternity or sorority they belong to. They'd come to my parties. Right. So that that also gave me a further indication of how music promotions and getting into people's sort of social psyche, what they wanted to do for their own gratification was an opportunity to, to monetize, you know, the intellect that I had. So did that when I was coming home, though, um, after like a few spring breaks and stuff, I worked at a, um, a roadhouse restaurant and I met a bunch of young guys, my younger brother and the, uh, his friends were all the bus boys. And I was a little older and a little bigger and, you know, working out and all that stuff. And so I hung out with all the door guys. I was a door person and we used to have these freestyle competitions. 
So we'd have regional competitions against the younger staff, my younger brother and his friends, and then we, we, we would annihilate them because we were pretty good. But then one day they got amazing all of a sudden. So I said, hold on, well, you guys must have some sort of ringer or something, what's the deal? So they took me back into the kitchen and there, who, uh, this individual, a slender individual who had his back to me, um, they pointed at him. I said, hey, have you been giving these guys lyrics? And he just smiled, a coy smile. And lo and behold, that was the, the young man who became Maestro Fresh West. His name wow. was Wes Williams. And I went back to school in the interim. And when I came home, he reached out to me and said, I'm thinking about leaving Carleton University and trying to get a record deal. Hip hop is growing. I've got lyrics. I want to be part of it. So I said I was an entrepreneur already. It was in my bones. So and he knew me as the person that was closest to him that had some idea about the music industry. And um, that's how, that's how we became um, what I called business partners. I was his manager. He was the artist. It was his vision. Um, his idea, his look, all that. He was such a self-driven individual. And what I did is I facilitated what his intentions were. So that's how I became Maestro's manager. And fast forward, our first single, uh, first major single, Let Your Backbone Slide, off the first album, blew up in Canada, went platinum and just short of double platinum. And um, the rest is history in terms of working with him. But then, this is what's important when you're an entrepreneur. You have to be able to pivot, right? And my pivot was when the radio stations in, in uh, right across Canada converted from pop radio, which was CFDR at the time, changed their format to news talk radio, right? Now, it doesn't matter where you live. This happens all over the world, especially in commercial radio stations. They change format to make more money. So, but the unfortunate thing for us was that was a station that really helped us to blow up because all the stations like them across the country copied their playlists and that's what helped our album to blow up. But then when they switched to news talk radio, we had no outlet for our, for our music. So then what we did, or well, what I did actually, I said to Wes, you know what? It's kind of futile to be managing you when we don't have an outlet for your music. And I heard about this effort to get a radio station in Toronto that plays black music, uh, reggae, soca, obviously hip hop and R&B. So I reached out to the folks that were heading, spearheading that campaign. I said, hi, my name is Farley Flex. You might have heard of me. I'm Maestro's manager, so on and so forth. I'd like to help you with this effort. And the, the principal of the organization, Denim Jolly, said, um, yep, we know who you are, and we're happy to have you on board. And then I became the person that led the music format presentation to the CRTC. I became the person who became the music director and head of business development at the station and was you know, obviously um, somewhat instrumental in launching Canada's first what's called urban or black music commercial radio station, right? So that was my pivot, going from management to music curation, um, you know, vetting a lot of talent that came through our doors, wanting their music played and so forth. And that, in, that enhanced my expertise as the music industry guy. So fast forward, stayed there for the, the amount of years to get the station flourishing and so forth. And I get a call from a guy named Mark Lizakowski. He says, um, is this Farley Flex? I said, absolutely. I usually say all my life, right? And then, uh, <laughs> I love that. And he says, um, we've been asking around the music business and your name keeps coming up as someone that we should talk to regarding this new TV show we're producing. It's called Canadian Idol. So I had heard of American Idol because my kids were watching it, but I was far too busy to watch tons of TV. So I, but it resonated with me. And one of the things I tell myself all the time, Nikki, is that 
when you're in touch with your passion, you're in touch with your interests, your personality traits and your skill sets, decisions become really easy to make. So much so that when Mark described the show to me and the word music was used, my body gyrated. When the word <laughs> talent was used, my body gyrated. When, when the idea of traveling across the country, because I love to travel, I know Farley. So when Farley hears the word travel, my body gyrates. You see what I'm saying? So see that was, saying. so I was an automatic yes, even before I negotiated of the compensation and all that stuff. And I remember years later when we did it for six years from 2003 to 2008. And I remember in one interview, I said, um, you know what? I would have done this for free. And everybody laughed <laughs> because... <laughs> Because I loved it so much, but obviously it was a it was a great form of compensation to do something that's an extension of who you are. And I encourage entrepreneurs: if you go for the money, right, you might not find the honey. Okay, very important. You have to wake up on Monday morning feeling like the rest of the world feels on Friday afternoon. So I don't have bad days, Nikki. I tell people this all the time because I've chosen what I do for a living. And I t kids say to me all the time, because I work with a lot of young people. They say, what do you do for a living? I say, I do nothing for a living. I live for what I do. Big difference. Oh, that's good. You know what I'm saying? That's Very genius, important. man. You, you, you ought to put that in the kind of the Bartlett's book of quotes, you know? <laughs> I do nothing for a living. I live for what I do. I live for what I do. That's I'm writing that down, man. That is really good. So, so when you do that, it ensures your happiness and what I call your joy quotient. Your joy quotient is critical. The joy and happiness are not the same thing. Happiness is winning the lottery. Joy is seeing your child walk for the first time, hearing your child say, da-da for the first time watching your child grad go, go to school the first day for the first day of kindergarten watching your child graduate from grade eight to go into grade nine and then grade 12 to go into university and graduating from university those things bring you joy happiness is sort of more in my definition anyway it's a little more momentary you know what i'm saying it's a little, you won the lottery great you that doesn't necessarily bring you joy because we know tons of wealthy people unfortunately take their own lives so it mm -hmm. means the money didn't bring them happiness Right. Yeah. But if they were joyous people, the likelihood of doing something to hurt themselves or anyone else would be much, much slimmer than if they were basing it on how much money is in the bank account. So the happy balance is do what you love. Don't ration your passion. I know you're going to write that one down. You heard me yeah, say that yeah, before. Yeah, that's good. Right. Never ration your passion. Right. Your passion is something that fuels all your intentions, your work ethic, all the important things you need to have in a day to day, high frequency, habitual process. So the experience that you that you encounter through your passion, when you repeat that, it becomes it becomes a habit. Then when you repeat that habit, it becomes a behavior. When you repeat a behavior, it becomes your culture, your personal culture. And when you repeat that culture, it becomes your instinct. Malcolm Gladwell said it in Blink, right? You don't need to, like when, you're an ex, ex, when you have expertise in an area and a massed amount of expertise, right? You can make instinctive decisions instantaneously because you have that backstory of culture, behavior, habit, and that first experience that got you hooked. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, man. Wow. I, I'm just getting so much gold out of this. You know, <laughs> I, I think people should be taking notes when they listen to this. Don't listen to this episode in your car, man. Listen to this at your desk and just take detailed notes and start, start applying it right away. Wow. Okay. So 
you've had a heck of a career. You know, you've done some incredible things. And very fortunate. It, yeah. I mean, God is good. And, 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 and you know what? He blesses. He blesses those of his children that uh, that that listen to him and follow the path he sets for them. And you're clearly one of those uh, men. So so Farley, Canadian Idols over. What happens then? So Canadian Idols over my brand which is very important to me, has now expanded coast to coast, literally, because we traveled across the country on top of touring with Maestro. Then I followed up with touring with Canadian Idol and fell in love with the country of Canada. I fell in love with Newfoundland. Newfoundland is a special place. The people are very special. Uh, they celebrate their own existence like tourists in their own province. It's a beautiful <laughs> thing. Then you go to the West Coast and people have a different personality, different sense of, of, of connection with the earth and with nature and things like that. Then you go to the Central or, well, actually Western Canada, the Albertas, the Calgarys, the Winnipegs, the Saskatchewan, and people are the salt of the earth kind of thing. And they, you know, they, it's just amazing the dynamic that this country has to offer, not dissimilar to what the U.S. offers as well. And so for me, I began, I, got, I went on the public speaking circuit, um, Initially on my own, working with uh, some amazing people in the indigenous communities. I've been to pretty well every reserve in this country, um, inspiring, motivating, sharing, and um, working with indigenous folks who, quite frankly, in my opinion, I'm a, as you know, I work, I work aggressively against anti-black and anti-indigenous racism. I believe that uh, there's no true equity until the folks who have been most egregiously affected by colonization can see their way clear from a somewhat autonomous lens and so forth. But I spoke heavily on that. So that put me into the DEI, the diversity, equity, and inclusion space, right? And one of the things that I talk about is it's basically die or die, right? We have to <laughs> understand what diversity means, what equity means, and what inclusion means, or else our country's going in the wrong direction. Right. And that's the important thing to me. Um, those those two communities have taken my community to being the people of African descent through slavery and indigenous people have taken what I call the hit. The hit is the historical identity theft that colonization has been has committed in, in terms of indigenous and black people, meaning we have we don't have our own language. We don't have our own names. We don't have our own faith. So what I when I work with businesses that want to be inclusive in terms of DEI, it's not just a box you check off. It's an actual cultural shift that needs to evolve into an instinct for that business. So I encourage all thought leaders, all business leaders, when we're talking about motivating people, we have to make sure that motivation is unilaterally applicable to everyone that hears it. You know, I follow the work of Thomas Sowell. I think he's the smartest man alive today. He's over 90, so hopefully he'll be with us for uh, a few years more. Um, mm -hmm. He talks about, and there's um, there's a few videos on, on the internet of people talking about him, not even him talking about this, but he's written extensively on this. And he, he talks about um, uh, black culture in the South in the United States versus mm -hmm. black culture in the West Indies. And he right. says, it's different, right? So the, the, the black culture in the South in the United States is very similar, he says, to the poor white culture in the South in the United States, too. So they're, um, they, they speak a similar dialect, right? And that dialect, he says, is actually from Cornwall in England. Like he, he, he goes and he shows, I be this, I be that. That, that kind of talk comes from Cornwall in England. 
And he said, they all, they, they all love Jesus, right? They're very kind of religious into Jesus. And they're prone to settle disagreements with violence. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And those are the kinds of things he talked about. He says, you go to the West Indies, though, it's different. They all come from slavery. They all had their identity uh, and their culture taken away from them when, uh, you, you know, when they were brought as slaves to, to, uh, to, uh, to the Western Hemisphere. Then he talks about the West Indies. And he says, well, West Indies, similar culture, you know, brought over as slaves, et cetera. But they don't have that same kind of uh, approach to things. In the West Indies, there's a lot of folks there that are, that are really, um, really driven by keeping the family, the family unit together. There's a lot of folks there that are driven by families who like value education and the culture in the South, both on, on, on the white and the black side, don't value education as much. They kind of look down on it. They like someone speaks a certain way, they call him uppity or whatever. You know what I mean? Oh, look at him. He's putting on airs. And, and it seems to me, it's interesting that what you're saying is accurate, that when someone loses their own culture, they pick up the culture of wherever they happen to be from. So if you're in that meal, you, that's the culture you're going to pick up because that that's what's all around you right now. And and I find that fascinating because I'm originally from Iran. I've lived in Canada, right? I, I There's a lot of Iranian things. A while back, I went back to Iran. And I hadn't been there in over 20 years. I, I couldn't recognize the culture. I'd become so Canadianized yeah. that I couldn't recognize the culture. Now, there's some things that are wonderful about becoming Canadianized, but there were some things that I was a bit sad about. I'm like, wow, you know, like this fellow who's, like someone who doesn't know me got introduced to me in Iranian culture. We have something called Pazirai, right? Which means hospitality. And okay. they don't know me. They're poor. Like they barely are feeding themselves. They bring me in the house and they fill these plates with food that they're going to use to eat for the next four days. And they won't let me leave unless I eat it. And I'm going, Oh my God, like I know these guys aren't even going to eat, but they're putting this food in front of me. And if I don't take it, they're going to be insulted. So, you know, I, I find what you're saying fascinating as a as a as as someone who's who's cerebral and likes to read about these things. I I I appreciate you sharing this perspective with me over the last little while as we've gotten to know each other. Because honestly, without you sharing it with me, I wouldn't know. I'm not in that space. I don't understand it. And it's really cool. Since you brought this to me, I thought I want to go look at this more. I want to learn about this more. I want to read what people like Thomas Sowell have to say. And I think. You know, at the end of the day, we as human beings, we, we definitely need to look at things that have happened that, that other people that have had injustice put toward them. My own my own uh, uh, ethnic background, we've had a ton of injustice in Iran, yeah. but I'm I want to look at that, learn from it. And I want to move forward. I want to help people be successful because I want to see everybody win. That's why right. we do what we do, because I don't want a kid to, to, to be growing up today, depending on wherever he happens to be. And if the milieu that he's in right now is he's in an area which is infested with a lot of crime, you know, gangs, drugs, et cetera, we got to put a stop to that, man. That kid right. shouldn't be in that space. That kid should have mentors around him that are going to allow him to to raise up and be the best version of himself. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And with reference to what you said from Thomas Stowell's perspective, one of the distinctions between the African descendants of African slavery 
uh, uh, sorry, of descendants of slavery um, in terms of the Caribbean versus the U.S. The, the the U.K. the British had a longer stronghold on the Caribbean, as you know, many of those countries are still under the Commonwealth and so on and so forth. Yeah. Barbados being the most recent one to disconnect and become a republic. So yeah. a lot of those things in terms of the value for education and so forth are attached to British um, style education, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then when you go to the U.S., the U.S. obviously distinct distinctly separated itself from the UK philosophically and in all sorts of ways. So that's why you're going to see some of the manifestations that you see. But at the end of the day, right, the cultural identity piece has to be reinstated by whatever means so that people can feel a sense of autonomy and be part of a cultural mosaic as opposed to a melting pot. That's what's nice about Canada. We're more of a mosaic here. But um, overall, though, I, you know, my whole message to entrepreneurs has, it always includes the, the, the recognition that the human talent and human choices are are things that are informed by experience, right? And when you know when people gravitate to something, you look at sports like the NBA, which is one of the best marketing machines in the history of of Huge the man. world, yeah. right? But the propensity for for black men who are not getting a, a nice array of options. My mother called it the buffet of life. She said, I will present to you as my children the buffet of life as best as I can, meaning she put us in math club, soccer, hockey, um, you know, uh, baseball. And we tried all these things and she'd say at the end of it, like she'd always say, I put you in this so you could get a taste of what it's like, but it's up to you to choose your favorite dish. Right. Man. So I was raised to be exploratory, to be curious about my potential, to challenge myself and figure out what's holding me back from from this the, from fulfilling potential. Because here's the thing, Nikki, greatness is defined by fulfillment of potential and nothing else. It's not whether I'm as good as LeBron James or I'm as smart as this guy. It's how much of um, how much of my full potential have I fulfilled? Because potential is always above the clouds. It's static. But the variable is the performance, the application, the work ethic. Those are the variables that determine whether or not you fulfill your potential. So what guys like you and I want to do in terms of motivating others is to ensure that they have the right tools to fulfill their potential and achieve greatness on their own terms. And when you, once you achieve greatness on your own terms, it's inevitable. People are going to recognize it in you. Right? And that's, that's how yeah. the world works. So... I'm very, very um, encouraged and, 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 and find a place, lots of joy in the work I do because I love the notion of being able to facilitate the, the ambitions of others, right? And I remember one year I was up for um, a media award Right. And um, the reporter before the nominations were the nominations were announced, but the award was not yet announced. And a reporter backstage said to me, oh, Farley, you're going to win this hands down. You're on Canadian Idol. You know, but he didn't realize that two of the other nominees were people that I trained. At flow. <laughs> so I said to him, I would rather I said, what's a better testament to my story if I win the award or if people that I trained win the award? And he got yeah. it. Right. I would much rather those two individuals because they were a morning show team win that award in like so that I could I can at least understand that I've passed on something to someone else. You know, it, paying it forward is obviously incredibly valuable. It's incredibly valuable. You know, it's it's funny you should say that there's um like in the in, in, in the business that I'm in. Right. In the business of, of supporting and helping entrepreneurs to win. There's a lot of people in that space. You know, there's a lot of gurus. There's a lot of courses. And I have a lot of disdain for a kind of individual I call the charlatan marketer. 
They're basically mm. a charlatan, right? They're either overtly lying or they're not lying, but they're just they just don't have what it takes to give you the results. These are people who are extremely good at from the front of the room or from their copy or their webinars hitting all the right buttons to get you to buy. But at the end of the day, you're buying sizzle. There's no steak there. You try to bite into that thing and there's just sizzle in your mouth. You don't taste that juicy, delicious steak, right? And the, the thing is that I say to folks, I say, look, you got to be careful. There's a lot of people out there who are going to show you their Ferrari and Lamborghini. It's usually rented. They're going to be in front of a house and take pictures. Yeah. And it's usually just someone else's house. And they're going to tell you how much more money they make than everybody. And they're going to put themselves above. You know what my proudest boast is? I'm nowhere near the most successful person inside of the, the folks I work with. I've had people that I've worked with that have made seven figures a year, eight figures a year, way more than I've ever made. Right. And that makes me happy. That makes me super happy because like you, it's the greatest testament to who I am is that the student surpasses yeah. me. And if I continue to work on myself, then I'm going to keep surpassing who I was. You know what I mean? And, absolutely. And part of that is money. Yeah, absolutely. Money's important. Yeah. The bigger part of that for me is the legacy I want to leave. Like you, I want to leave a legacy of people that I've helped become successful in entrepreneurship. And like you, I want to make a difference for men. I mean, that's a whole separate thing, a separate conversation. I've got a podcast for men gotcha. that I do as well. But on my, on, my, on my gravestone, the epitaph I wanted to say after the dash is I want to say uh, father, husband, friend, and uh, lover of freedom, and uh, friend to men, uh, foe to uh, tyranny, friend to liberty, and, and a man who gave a good gosh darn. We don't want to put any, any profanity on the, on the gravestone, <laughs> right? But that's, that's what I like to see my legacy be. Yeah, I, I think we're in alignment there for sure. Um, you know, you, you, there's so many old adages and idioms and so forth that people share. But you really, the, your mark on history is really, you know, what did you do to make a difference? How did you make the world a better place? I Even when I work with my recording artists, I say, you, can, you, you okay, you're an R&B singer, you're a rock singer, you're a country singer, whatever you are. But how are you making the genre better? That's got to be your goal. When you're writing your songs, are you enhancing the quality of the industry that you're in, of the of the genre that you're, you're described as being part of. You've got to make everything be better. That's a, that's a unique trait that we have as human beings. I'm a dog lover. And what I love about dogs, dog they're so lover. consistent. It's like, they hear my car pull up, I hear the barking, they're at the door, they know it's time to eat. They know it's time to go for a walk. They know it's time to do what they got to do in, in, the, in the, the biologically, <laughs> right? And they're consistent. They're not looking for a better form of food or a longer walk or a better sounding car like that to, to recognize that I'm coming. Everything is status quo for them. But we as humans have this one a, a really unique gene that tells us that there's room for improvement. There's yeah. always room for improvement. Tiger yeah. Woods, after the, his in his heyday, after the best tournament outcome, he goes to the driving range the next morning. Kobe Bryant, he shoot, he rest his soul. He would shoot, score 38, 40 points, and he goes to 2,500 jump shots the next morning it's to crazy. maintain and become better than he was the day before. And this happens throughout history. Great people are never never know they're great. You know what I mean? They're always working for the to the next level of achievement. Michael Jordan, as we know, didn't make his high school basketball team. He didn't. Right? 
think about that. Like if these guys are going to the golf course, going back to the court, go, uh, talking to the coaches and saying, what is it I can do, do need to do better? Who are we to chill out? Yeah. We can't chill out. Chilling out is the booby prize. You know, it took me right. a long time to get that. I mean, I still chill out from time to time, but it really is the booby prize. You know, life is about living life as the best version of yourself. And you're not going to do that on the yeah. couch watching YouTube. That's for darn exactly. sure. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So listen, you and I are both in the sports. I got two boys who are into sports. One of them's a goalie in hockey and the other one plays soccer and, 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 and basketball. So you know, let's let's switch gears for a minute. Talk a little. You're a soccer player, yeah. and you're you're into basketball. Let's talk a little bit of soccer. So, uh, Canada's in the World Cup coming up. Yeah, that's pretty crazy yeah. stuff, right? It's amazing. It's yeah. amazing, and I, I I know a lot of the guys um, who contributed to that legacy. Again, it didn't start with these kids who made it. Now it started decades and decades ago. Every Every one of those before us. And that's the humility that you have to have that lives alongside your confidence, right? Remember that you, there are ancestors in whatever category you're in. There was somebody there before you that makes it possible for you that you may never even meet or never even heard of, right? But that's the reality. I remember a time, quite frankly, where the Canadian team wasn't receptive to, to black people of Caribbean, Caribbean descent playing on the national team. Uh, that's in my era. Right. But now you see the makeup of the team. It's much more representative of the cultures that have been um, excelling. And it's a fantastic thing for Canada. Canada's a special place where a lot of first things can happen. We should be the global champions in diversity, equity and inclusion. We have the landscape for it. We have the political system for it. We just got to make sure that the education systems and think the criminal justice system are all open and transparent in the in terms of the agendas that are abound. Right. I work with inmates every Tuesday and Thursday. I'm coaching inmates on entrepreneurship. Right. You know, here in Toronto, yeah. um, I have community programs for people who fell off the academic path or may have had some involvement in the criminal justice system. And I and I, that's what I'm telling them. You, I tell them, get yourself ready so that you're ready for the opportunity. Don't expect the opportunity to come to you and you're standing there complacent in your wallowing in your misery. You've got to be you've got I call it attacking the gap. Right. Yeah. You've got to attack the gap. The criminal justice system uh, in Canada is way better than the one in the United States. That's for darn sure, but it still has issues, uh, you know, without without getting into too much uh, detail or breaking confidentiality. I can I, I can tell you that I uh, there, there's people that that, you know, all right, I'm going to say something here. And, uh, um, you know, well, it's going to go. It's going to go across the way it's going to go across. So hope, hopefully I won't, you know, hopefully there won't be too many people canceling over this. But. You know, Malcolm X, who um, when I when I first heard about him, I thought, man, this guy's a radical. He's crazy. He's trying to overthrow the world. He's not my kind of guy. But then I started to actually read what the man had to say. And I started listening to a couple interviews he did with people that he vehemently disagreed with. So unlike people today in the social media generation, he was able to disagree without being disagreeable. But he made his points very strongly. Yeah. One of the things he said, which you know, as a, as a Middle Eastern man, I found to be true. There is nobody less tolerant uh, than uh, a white liberal. And they're not really liberals anymore. They're leftists, right? They yeah. point they point a finger out that there's three fingers pointing about it and, and themselves, not to make this a political show. So um, who's the GOAT in soccer? Right now? The GOAT all time. Oh, all time, Pele. Pele, hands down. Agreed. 
hundred percent down, hands down. So what do you think of these people that are saying it's Ronaldo or Messi? Because I think they're out to lunch. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 I mean, you know, but I think the fair thing to do, and similar with basketball, you got to go era by era. And you and I had this sure. conversation. But when you got to, if you go era by era, you can figure out who all the goats are, kind of thing. But like, I mean, Will Chamberlain broke seventy-two records that will never be broken by a human being ever, ever. ever. Right? So, so it's hands down. But you notice they keep him out of the conversation. Like he's almost above the conversation. And, and I don't really like when they do that when they say the goat is Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan doesn't have 50 point average. Michael Jordan was never told, okay, Michael, stop scoring now. Like, Wilt, they take Wilt off like he was scoring too many points. Yeah. Like, come on. So I totally, I'm totally in tow with you there. Um, in soccer, Pele, I mean, the adversity he faced, um, the, the style of play, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, just magical. I love his documentary too. Um, yeah, it's great. Hockey, and- I had the great, oh, I got a quick story for you. I was responsible for introducing Gordy Howe to Pele for the first time. How's cool. that? For cool. That's cool. Tell me the story. So I was, um, Maestro was asked to go down and open the Roots store, the, the, the launch of the Roots store at Epcot Center at Disney World, right? So I was there and we were sitting in, the, you know, the um, Tree of Life is like a restaurant inside the trunk of the tree. So we're sitting there having our meal and I see this entourage like maybe 30 feet away. And I look and I'm looking and I see Pele sitting there and Gordy Howe was part of our Canadian entourage along with a guy named, um, well, you know, Elvis Stoico. Sure. And remember Ross Ribliati? The, yeah, the, of the course. Sto- the snowboarder guy. So we were all part of this entourage for the Roots contingent and Pele and his people were, in, were there for whatever reason. So I, and Gordy was sitting across from me at the table. I said, Gordy, have you ever met Pele? He goes, no, man, I love to meet Pele. Right. So I got up. I didn't say anything. I got up. I went over and I introduced myself to Pele's, Pele's entourage. I said to and I said, I shook his hand. I said, you're my favorite player. I wore your number the whole night. I said, but I got a question for you. Have you ever met Gordy Howe? Mr. Hockey. And he says, no, but I'd love to be. I know who he is. <laughs> like it's Portuguese, yeah, Portuguese, yeah. Brazilian yeah, accent, right? Yeah, yeah, for real. And um, so I said, well, now here's your chance. So I brought them to the center of the, the place. And they met each other, two of the greatest in their fields by era, if you will, right? Yeah, yeah. Or goats. Gordy might be the goat. You never know, right? But ah, look at yeah. <laughs> I think I think Gretzky's the goat, bro. You can't. Yeah, yeah, Gord, yeah, yeah. Gord, yeah Gord, Gretzky's Gord, Gretzky. second, but Gretzky's the goat. But you know, but you know what? You know what? Gretzky wasn't. He wasn't a very good defender, eh? No, Gordy was a no. good defender. But no, anyway, let's, let's old not elbows, man. Go, go, that's, Gordy's that's, elbows got people locked out, man. Have you seen? Uh, and that's the other thing. You should see Gordy's elbows. I have. Like I met families. Gordy. I met They're that like dude, families. man. Unbelievable. Oh, but dude. anyway, so that's, yeah. that's one of my little claims to fame. I introduced Gordy Howe to Pele and vice versa. That's awesome, man. Yeah, Gordy, Gordy was a great guy. No, but I mean, you know, in soccer, I think... I think Pele's the greatest of all time. There's no question about it. And uh, I'm I'm a fan of both Messi and uh, uh, and Ronaldo's. They're absolutely incredible players. Um, it, it's going to be sad when they retire. You know what I mean? Yeah. Soccer's going to lose something because you've yeah, got, you some... got some of the young guys. Mbappe and those guys are coming up, man. Like they're young. Mbappe's right? good. Mbappe's good. He's mentally he needs to get tougher, man. He's not yeah. that mentally yeah. strong. He's a no offense. He's a little bit of a wuss, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he just is. I like, hear you. I hear you. You you knock you knock down Ronaldo. I mean, he'll take a dive, but he's got it. He's got it going on, and he's going to get you when he gets a chance. He's going to yeah. get you. 
you hit Mbappe too hard, he'll just get knocked out. And then he'll be a little, I mean, Mbappe, man, kick that guy's ass. Next time he's near you, take him out at the knees. Let him know who's boss, man. You know, like my son yeah. plays, he's 16. He plays center back. He used to play for like the Barca Academy in Toronto, but that, that thing oh, yeah. went bankrupt uh, during the pandemic. He plays for the same coaches who did that. Um, he's a beast. You know, you, you come near him, you hurt him, you hurt one of his teammates. He, he's got his eye on you and you're going to get it. Nice. I mean, it may not be a, may not be a dirty play. It'll be a clean play, but he's right. big and strong. He works out and he, you know, they're, they're, he's just, he just, That's he's going to get you and he's going to look at you and let you know you, you did something you, you better not do again. And I, I think the greatest players, you, you couldn't mess with them. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Will Chamberlain, there's a story from Sam Jones online, right? Like Sam Jones, uh, you know, said that uh, Will Chamberlain said uh, after he came into the paint, he scored. He said, "Little fella, don't come back in here." And then yeah. he said, "Ah, yeah, little fella, right?" <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. You know, and Sam and Sam Sam came in and um, and Wilt knocked him on his ass, like like yeah. Wilt style. You know, with that strength and energy and yeah. Sam just looks up and he said, I told you, little fella, don't come back in the paint. He said, I didn't come back in the paint. <laughs> I just, yeah, I I just do it. Right. And then there was a guy who was having a conversation with, uh, with Wilt, you know, just before he passed on. I think it's a great shame that he passed on, man. It's a, it's yeah. a real shame. And he was, uh, they, they were, they were asking him, well, you know, I think my, this guy was telling, well, I think Michael's the goat. Like MJ, right? And and Wilt's like, oh, well, you know, but like, what what do you think, Wilt? He goes, no, 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 no. Like he said, listen, he said Michael's great and all that, but uh, I we were talking, we were arguing at the NBA 50th anniversary, going back and forth, and who's better? And he, he said, I told Michael, listen, they changed the rules to make it harder for me to dominate. They changed the rules to make it easier for you to dominate. And he said, yeah, Michael had nothing to say to that, and then. He was on another show. I think it was it was Conan O'Brien or whatever, and and uh, you know he was Conan was saying, well, so which one of you is better? You know, which one of you is the, the goat? And, and and he said, you really think you could do as well as Michael? Now, he said, yeah, if I was playing today, I'd be I'd be I'd be I'd be averaging thirty five points a game. And he said, oh, thirty five points a game. He said, well, you know, that's about where Michael is because it was done at the time where Michael was doing that. He said, yeah but you forget I'm 60, right? He yeah. meant he could average 35 yeah, points. Yeah, 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 yeah. 60, right? Yeah, he's and something like, else, man. Damn, man. And something up else. until he was 50 years old, every year NBA teams would come with a contract offer to him. That's amazing. Every year, like 50 years old, the Cleveland Cavaliers put a multi-million dollar contract offer in front of this guy. Unbelievable. You know, and at 50 years old, there's some video footage of him wearing a suit in like you 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 know the, the the shoes right like the the dress shoes and like a tie like knotted up tight and someone gave him the ball and there was a basketball court there and he went up there and he dunked it and it was easy it wasn't like he was trying too hard he just okay. went up and he dunked it in there and I'm like wow Amazing. like that guy was something else you know I just love Will Chamberlain love Pele love Will Chamberlain love to watch Pele play i mean I'm, I'm old enough that i got to see him play in the tail end of his career it was it was something very very special for me yeah i saw him i only saw him as a cosmo when he was a new york cosmo yeah yeah but, um, yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, i only saw him on have TV. you ever been to a world cup 
Uh, no, I, I haven't. Yeah. We were looking at going in Brazil, but I wasn't able to make that work. Yeah, so I've been to two, uh, oh. the Atlanta one and the um, Germany. Germany is the first, I mean, you know, my background is the bus stop on my uh, transatlantic slave journey is Trinidad and Tobago. And uh, when Trinidad made the Germany World Cup, um, I went with my cousins and that was pretty amazing. That's incredible, man. That was a great World Cup. You yeah, know, it was that, actually. That was a great mm -hmm. World Cup. Um, it was it was pretty incredible uh, how Italy beat France. And I thought I was rooting for France. I thought France yeah, would win. Yeah, yeah. But uh, those Italians, man, that guy, <laughs> um, who was the guy who got Zinedine uh, upset where he headed him in yeah. the chest? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, I forget the guy's name. He was I hated him. Like I, I hated him for doing that. I know, I know. Um oh geez, I'll never remember now. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was he was an Italian dude, but apparently that's his thing, right? He gets under people's right. skin like he's a total trash talker. Mm -hmm. But I just thought to myself, Zuzu, man, you shouldn't have done that. Zuzu, let it go. Yeah. Let it go. Let the <laughs> idiot say whatever he's gonna say and beat him. That's the best revenge. Not not hitting yeah. him in the chest. You can go find him in the parking lot after and go beat him up, but don't do it in front of everybody. Yeah, you know? yeah it really got under his skin. Yeah, and is a pretty offensive um, comment. I yeah, he, I think he talked about his mother or his wife or yeah, something. Exactly. You know, it was, it was a terrible thing to do. I get it, but like, you know, that's what they do. That's the job of the crappy player on the other team to get under the skin of the best player yeah. on your team. You know, exactly. You, you know, and it's, off it's, his it's, game. It's, it's dirty play, but. It's a World Cup, you know. What are you gonna say? The yeah. Italians won that. Yeah, that's 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 pretty amazing, man. That was that was a pretty amazing thing. Yeah, the um, good for you that you got to see them. Well, when it's in Canada, I guess I'll get to see. <laughs> I'll get yeah, to see a yeah, few games. Exactly. That'll, that'll yeah, be we fun. We should go to we should go to a couple games together. I'm in. I'm in. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. I uh, I got I got I got some friends. Um, uh, let's let's see what I can do. I'm sure you got some friends. We got to get some good seats, man. Yeah, we'll see, yeah. we'll see Canada play, but I'd love to see some of the some of the other teams play. It'd be cool yeah, to watch. Absolutely, absolutely. It'd, it'd be cool to watch France, Brazil, Germany. Some of those guys do with Belgium. They do. Oh yeah, yeah Belgium's man. really good, man. But yeah, man. They, they got their butts kicked at the last World Cup. I know. The French, yeah. my God, the French! Look at those guys. Like, I know they may repeat. Eh? Do you think they'll repeat? Yeah, they got a good chance to for sure. Yeah, they're, really the team chance. hasn't changed too much, and they they added Benzema back, right? So now mm -hmm. that now that Benzema's uh, you know not fighting with the coach anymore, they added him back. So with him <laughs> there, they're uh, them and Belgium are probably the two best teams. But you know, I'd like to see a South American team win it. There have been too many European teams that have won it in a row. It used to go back and forth. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a monster Brazil fan, so we'll see. Yeah, my are you Brazil are or Argentina? Uh, you know what, brother? Honestly, I'm a Germany fan, but my boys are both Brazil fans. Like my my son, my son, oh, nice. my son plays. I'm a Pele fan. I love Pele, but I yeah. always liked the Germans, man. Since because like when I was a kid, I I grew up watching the you, you know Beckenbauer and, uh, right, and what's his course, name? I was yeah. like I was the youngest, so those were kind of like the the original guys that I got into. And yeah, you know, I, that makes sense. Yeah, but uh, Pele Pele is Pele is my favorite player of all time. It'd be yeah. really cool if I could meet Pelé. That would be that yeah. would be a, a dream come true for me. It'd be yeah. it'd be really cool. I'd love to. Yeah, he's that he's answer. he's failing in health um, a little yeah, bit right I've now. Heard, I've heard that. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. He's not traveling too much, so maybe, right. maybe we can maybe we can find a way to go to Brazil. I got to find someone who who knows him. So you you, you know if it's possible. I'd love it. But yeah. I, 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 Godspeed. Pray for the man. 
and away we go. All right, let's switch back to business now that we talked a little bit of sports. Since we both like sports, not everybody I bring on the show is into sports. Who would have <laughs> um, so so Farley, we we like to to end off each episode by asking you as our guest expert, like what are your top three expert action steps? These are your three best pieces of advice to help my listener take their business to the next level. So what do you say? Okay. Number one, fearless. You have to be fearless. Fear, as it, the, the old adage is fear is the biggest inhibitor of success. It's absolutely true. It affects your decision making. It affects your, your, your sense of gratification all because you're worried about the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. You've got to be fearless in business. Know your product, know what you have to offer and be fearless with it. Uh, number two, I really believe in this notion, as I shared earlier, that p- folks should do an extension of self. When you hear that Bill Gates dropped out of Harvard and instead of hanging out in high school to go drink beer in the park, he was at the computers at Washington State University. We heard the same thing about Steve Jobs. People who define themselves for themselves and then go into entrepreneurial endeavors are always going to be successful. So knowledge of self is the number one thing. And that goes back to your IPS uh, equals GPS. Know your interests, know your personality traits, know your skill sets, converge them into a model for success. And the third one I would say is just respect, respect business. I teach a negotiation course um, and I tell people, you you leave the deal with an ad- with what you feel is an advantage and the other person feels disadvantaged, doesn't matter that you got the check. It's a bad deal. Right. You have both parties have to leave the table feeling as though they want to work together again. That's the that's the barometer for success in business, because no business is a one man. They're like just like no man is an island. No entrepreneurial endeavor is unto itself. You, you have to deal with people. You have to deal with communities, cultures, governments, whatever it may be. You got to leave the table after you've negotiated with both parties embracing and wanting to work together again. So those would be the three I'd offer just for today. I've got three other ones for tomorrow. <laughs> I love it, Matt. I love it. These are three good. So be fearless, right? Know your product, know your offer, and put it out there with confidence. You know, know yourself. You got to have your business be an extension of yourself. If you're trying to live someone else's life, like Steve Jobs said, that's, that's not a good thing to do. And then show respect in business. And God, that's that should be basic, but unfortunately, it's not. Far too many not. people you know, want to try and get one up on people. Both parties have to leave the table wanting to do business again. I think that's very, very true. And, and you know what, Farley, I've really enjoyed this conversation. It's been absolutely fantastic. Really, really great stuff. So Farley, how do people get a hold of you? How do they find out about the things you're up to and how do they contribute to your efforts? So I'm doing a, a complete revamp right now. I'm working on a book, working on, um, you know, just some particular initiatives that in education that are going to create an even playing field for all young people. Um, so in terms of just communication, Instagram at Flex Original, Twitter at Flex Original. Um, I'm not a huge Facebook guy, but I got to up my game a little bit because it makes sense to. Um, and I'm just getting a website developed, which will be under my name. So it will be FarleyFlex.com. Okay, awesome. All right. We'll make sure all that stuff's put in the show notes. So listener, Farley Flex is the real deal. So, you know, if you're part of an organization and you want an incredible high energy speaker, you definitely want to reach out to him and bring him in to speak to your folks because he'll fire your people up. You'll motivate him. 
He'll give them nuggets of gold that they can use. And he's up to some really, really cool things. So just connect with him. He's offering to do this. This is a huge thought leader out there in the space. Uh, And he's offering to connect with you. So go ahead and take advantage of that. And listener, if you enjoyed this episode, if it touched your soul, if you learned something good, if there's something in you that you thought, wow, my friend so-and-so should really hear this. This would make a difference for them. You should do this. Share the episode. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a story, okay? And, and this is an important story. I've had somebody say they shared this episode with someone, and that person told them that they were in such a low place, they were thinking of doing some stupid stuff. And as a result of the uplifting message of the episode that they listened to, they didn't do that stupid stuff. And that's good. So you never know how sharing a good message can impact somebody in a positive way. So the episodes are free. We don't have any advertisers sponsoring this. We just ask that you just pay it forward to somebody else. And and if you do that, you're going to make the world a better place. Okay. Absolutely. Harley Flex, an honor to have you here on the show, brother. Really, really enjoyed our conversation. Looking forward to the work we're doing together over the next little while. And uh, looking forward to a, a longstanding friendship. And we'll definitely go to the World Cup together and Hey, if the Raptors uh, come back next year and they get further in the playoffs, let's go see a few games of that too. We'll, we'll That'd be do fun. That too. Absolutely. <laughs> so I want to leave everyone with one quick quote, if I may, Nikki. Is that okay? Please, of course. Yeah. Okay. So this quote is by the the um, individual known as Albert Einstein, who is actually a civil rights activist. Most people don't know that, right? But he said the greatest evil is not what we as people do. The greatest evil is those who stand by and watch it being done. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so there's food for thought for folks. Don't stand by and watch egregious things happen to your neighbors or anyone you see. Like, you know, we're going through, we know what's going on, not to timestamp things, but the issue in Buffalo, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we've got to be mindful that we can't stand by and and say, oh, I would have, I should have, I could have. That's not the, that's not what you want to be saying in life. You know, there was a, there was an ex-police officer in Buffalo who attacked that fellow. And uh, he got killed for his efforts. And then in, in yeah. California, in a Taiwanese church, um, there was a gunman and he was attacked yes. uh, by yes. somebody who knocked him down. Good people didn't stand by. They 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 right. hogtied both those shooters. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that was good. And, and, and I'll also say this, you know, like, um, again, last political statement of the show. But um, earlier on this year, the prime minister of our country decided that he was going to impose uh, vaccine rules, that if people had to choose between their jobs and their vaccines. And I think that's that's insane to do, to force people, not give them a freedom of choice. And then he did it on a group of people who were truckers. Now, truckers sit in the truck cab by themselves. They're not around anybody, right? They are isolated in their work. Huh? They need to be like, like you think about this. And yeah. when... When people in that industry said, hey, we want to talk to you. We think this is wrong. We don't need to do this. Instead of saying, you know what, let me have a conversation with because as a leader of a country, you got to talk to people you disagree with. You know, again, not to be a political show, but Stephen Harper met with the indigenous leaders. Right. And they disagreed with each other. He agreed to meet them when they were outside parliament, banging on the door saying, hey, we don't like what you're doing. He said, "Okay, come on in. Instead, our prime minister didn't do that. And a lot of a lot of people went up there and, and they protested for their rights. And he called them vile names and, and he was not willing to meet with them. And I think as a nation, 
we need to be able to give people the right to their views without demonizing them unnecessarily, without calling them things that they're not. I think it's as bad as racism is, it's equally evil to falsely accuse somebody of racism, you know, because that can ruin their goddamn life. That can totally ruin their life. So these guys, the prime minister of Canada called the truckers racist. Well, interestingly enough, 46% of trucking companies are owned by brown people. You know, they're owned by Punjabi Sikhs. They're white supremacists. Last I checked, that isn't a thing among brown people. You know what I'm saying? Gotcha. And, and, and it's the kind of thing that we need to stand up for in this country. Hey, it's got to be stood up for. If you see evil anywhere against anybody, yeah. don't stay silent. Say something about exactly it. it, my friend. Yeah. And amen. And that you, wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's incredible guest, the one and only, the legendary Farley Flex, go to the show notes at thethoughtleaderrevolution.com or wherever you happen to listen to this podcast, be it iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, or Audible. And share the episode with somebody who needs to hear the message. And if you're liking what you're hearing and you want to find out about how this can help you, go to our website, eCircleAcademy.com, grab all the free resources that are there. Make sure you do that. We're here to help you. We're here to help you live life as the best version of yourself. You deserve to make all the impact you're supposed to make. You deserve to make all the money you're supposed to make. You deserve to have all the fulfillment in life that you're supposed to have. God intends that for you. Until next time, goodbye. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. 